Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Two Lips, One Mic. I'm Anna. And I'm Cushy. So, by popular demand, and also because yesterday was International Women's Day, we thought this week's episode should focus on International Women's Day, namely why we still have International Women's Day. And so I know this is a question that's been asked again and again, and I feel like every year we receive the same question from the men's Mm -hmm. about why we have a specific day that's there to celebrate. So, full disclosure, we should probably recognise the fact that there is an International Men's Day. There is. November 19, every single year. Otherwise, also the other 364 days of the year that it's not International Women's Day. So, in doing research for this, I found out that International Women's Day was actually started in 1901 by the Socialist Party over in the United States. And it's... um, Wait, 1901 or... 1909. (laughs) Close enough. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a really long time ago Mm. in terms of it's always been there. And I know that in Asian countries like Vietnam, where my parents are from, it's actually a very big deal. I don't know if it's like that where um, your parents are from. Wow. Um, I don't actually know about the case in India. I mean, I don't even know if they mark the day. I mean, I'm sure they do, actually. That's pretty naive of me to say, but... (laughs) Um, I've never paid much attention to it. So it's marked quite widely. Yeah, Vietnam. it's like a, it's an actual day. And like I saw when I was researching for this that um, in Russia, it actually was a public holiday at some point. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's grown increasingly over the last couple of years, I think in Australia, because like we see all these like International Women's Day lunches and mm-hmm. brunches and, you know, that Did type of thing. Did you guys mark it at all? Um, my work, we mm. did... It wasn't a big deal, but I actually came across something quite interesting um, in just going through my old messages. So I'm glad I took a picture of this. But at my old workplace, um, it was a very uh, patriarchal type environment. <laughs> and I've got in my email scrubs, uh, uh, screenshots here um, just a message from someone saying, hi to the team. We're mm-hmm. going to be attending the International Women's Day breakfast tomorrow. Let me know if you need to contact me on my mobile. Next email is from some, a guy that I was working with, like just picture graying, like 50-year-old douchebag. <laughs> and he wrote, good morning all. Please mark November 19 your calendars to ce- celebrate International Men's Day. Ugh. Which now we all know it is a day. And then these other screenshots that I got, um, and I'm not going to name my former employer, but if you put together dots, you know where I work. And... Um, so there was a, a comment about International Women's Day and the breakfast that had been organised by the organisation. And I just want to know, it was the women that had organised it. Mm-hmm. And this guy. Same guy who sent the original email. No, another guy. I'm, right. I'm now on the message board. Right. He wrote, equality has gone mad. Even the equal opportunity um, posters around the work are single, gender-based and create inequality and in fact make most male members feel like it's a woman's world. Is that equality? It would be great to see an event to celebrate International Men's Day with X organisation this year. The success of International Women's Day event was due to a team of volunteer organisers who committed to booking, coordinating, promoting the event. I would encourage more to get involved. And that was like the head of, because he was leading sort of the gender equality response. That was his sort of pragmatic way in terms of saying, well, if you want to have an International Men's Day breakfast... Happy to go around and organise it yourself mm-hmm. instead of relying on the women who often are the ones doing all the administrative stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so putting aside um, that on a more serious note, why are we celebrating International Women's Day or why are we focusing on International Women's Day? And I know International Women's Day is often very wrought with 
a lot of mixed feelings. It's very sort of, um, I guess, cisgendered. Mm. It's, and some people, you know, there are criticisms that it's a bit miscited, you know. Um, mm. I was reading a really interesting article in The Age, actually, that was actually questioning the substance behind International Women's Day. Mm. Um, because for a lot of organisations, it's more or less descended into you know, little corporate luncheons, morning breakfast, but is anything of substance actually being done? Exactly. And I saw this with um, a federal government department. They had on their celebrations a picture of two grads um, holding a bake sale. And I was like, is this ironic? (laughs) That seems to be reinforcing gender stereotypes, if anything. Well, yeah, but I I totally take that point. And I, I do feel a bit icky. I haven't been invited to any breakfasts this year and I work in the public sector so we don't really have that opportunity but I know in corporate there's mm. a lot more opportunity for those very well catered events mm-hmm. I think you're right like um there's awareness raising and then there's actually doing things exactly. about it which I'm, I am also worried about mm-hmm. um is not there's no attraction there but I think um for the purposes of our episode today I guess the main reasons why we want to talk about International Women's Day and its relevance and why we still need it is because we have a family violence epidemic that's been going on for like all of millennia mm-hmm. um, and gender-based violence and, you know, putting aside the issues and I know it's very important as well, but the gender pay gap, I think today we're going to focus on more sort of the um the inequality that leads to um, family violence and intimate partner violence and violence against women. And I guess that's why we're still talking about things like International Women's Day because, you know, it, there is a disproportionate amount of women who are murdered by their partner. This mm-hmm. week has been a particularly harrowing week in Victoria, um, well, not in Australia, because we've had the horrible case of Preeti Reddy um, and we've also had a murder that took place in Burwood East and also a horrific assault that took place in Geelong in broad daylight with a 31-year-old mother carrying her um, five-week-old baby strapped to her chest Mm -hmm. and someone beat her up. And so in addition to that, and we're going to dive deep into um, those cases this week, just we've also got our own Prime Minister saying, and this is with respect to um, gender equality in the workplace, we don't want to see women rise at the expense of others, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of um, merit and the way that merit has operated mm-hmm. as now and the structural sort of deficiencies with the so-called merit-based system, which in his own party, only now people like Julie Bishop, who has been a long, you know, we don't need quotas, I'm not a feminist, mm-hmm. is starting to realise, and that's after she got stabbed out of her own, uh, you know, mm-hmm. backstabbed and stepped on her way out of, and she's now left um, Parliament, which is... I um, suppose the one benefit to come from these um, high-profile incidents of violence against women and the comments of our Prime Minister is the fact that, if anything, it reinforces the need or having a day like International Women's Day. Um, I don't know if you actually saw a tweet that Annabel Crabb put up yesterday marking International Women's Day, but I thought it was quite on point, and it more or less said that um, we will know that we don't need International Women's Day once we actually reach the point that one woman a week is not being killed That's as a right. result of family violence. And I thought that was just, yeah, really on point about um, why it's still so desperately needed. 
Um, but perhaps starting with some of the high-profile incidents. Um, so Preeti Reddy, this incident really hit a chord, I think, for many men and women out there. Um, so for those of you who might not be aware, um, Preeti Reddy is an Australian uh, dentist of Indian background. She was attending a conference in New South Wales um, and was uh, reported missing by her family after not being in contact for a number of hours. Um, she was eventually located um, stuffed in a suitcase in her car. Um, shortly before that discovery was made, um, her ex-boyfriend had um, driven his car at high speed and um, killed himself um, as the result of a collision. So he is now the primary suspect in her death. Um, but a lot of the media commentary surrounding this incident in particular, aside from the gruesome, you know, nature of the incident itself, is really um, telling and, again, on point about why we need the day. Um, so there was a particular article, um, I think it was reported on the ABC website, which was also really disappointing because we like to think of the ABC as being a little bit more progressive on these types of issues, um, unlike a lot of your mainstream news publications. Mm, um, but the, yeah, but the article was more or less um, focused entirely on humanising the primary suspect, mm. um, Preeti Reedy's ex-boyfriend, than it was on her. So it was trying to draw... Did it omit the part that he apparently only went to that conference so that he could meet up with her? Yeah, so that's the central allegation. It didn't really talk about the circumstances of the offence as much as it talked about the His fact life. that, yeah, he was this, you know, loved and adored son, brother, professional and friend and that his family was in the process of apparently organising an arranged marriage for him. And you actually um, sent the article to me and you could see very clearly that it was trying to draw this really implausible link between the um, family organising his arranged marriage and him potentially resorting to killing his ex-girlfriend. So how is it relevant? I'm just... That's the $100 million question, right? Um, how is it relevant? Is it just being a racist thing? Like, <laughs> let's just check some arranged marriage into this horrific... In- it's got nothing to do with no, what happened. I mean, you know, arranged marriages are commonplace in many cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, can sometimes um, occur in quite nefarious ways, ways in which the parties may not be consenting to them, but equally saying that there are many people who consent to these arranged marriages and it's actually quite a given practice in their culture. And, yeah, those people don't go around killing people as a result. So why that would be seen as the cause for this incident, I can't say. Um, But, yeah, I I took it to be a really offensive thing. My own parents um, were um, matched up in accordance with what would be considered an arranged marriage. Um, I don't see how in any way that could excuse or minimise one of them resorting to family violence and hurting or killing one another. And also to go to one one of the later segments, we're going to talk about Married at First Sight, which is based on the whole (laughs) thing to do with... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's absurd. There's always been this sort of... Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. That's a really interesting point. Like, nobody talks about how um, bizarre the concept of arranged marriage is when it involves predominantly, you know, white white people taking part. 
I mean, most arranged marriages don't even take place in the way they do on that show. It's not the case that most people that are parties to an arranged marriage meet each other for the first time at the altar. That's right. So, and it's fam- a lot of family stuff. Anyway, exactly. it's irrelevant to the story that happened. And it was actually Terang Chawa who mm-hmm. um, brought this up. And for those who don't know who um, Terang is, he was run- he had run as an independent in the Victorian state election. But the reason why I guess um, we know about him is because he's a massive family violence advocate and that was off after the horrific murder of his sister Nikita Mm. um and Nikita um some of the friends that I had at uni had gone to secondary school with her and so it does really hit Mm. close to home for Melbourne women in particular just FYI that relationship was not the product of an arranged marriage no it wasn't (laughs) and the circumstances of her death were equally horrific Mm. And um, it was, you know, obviously Terang has um, a very sort of um, particular view about these types of things and he completely zeroed in on the ABC's misrepresentation of that. Mm -hmm. And um, actually he wrote the article that um, was entitled Preethi's Death is Not an Agatha Christie Novel. And that was more a criticism on the media's reporting of it as being the body and the the suitcase, which I know they've done with other, um, like, you know, Maria Corp, mm. body and um, boot type scenario. But this is someone who died. And let's just to yeah. take it back to what we were saying. This is why we are talking about International Women's Day in 2019, mm. because we're dealing with this. This is intimate partner violence. These guys were exes and, you know, they had been in a relationship. And according to some of the police um uh, reports that have come out, um, you know, it had ended and she was quite adamant that their relationship had ended and then this is apparently what has mm. occurred since then. And that doesn't take away from the fact that obviously there is an ongoing investigation on foot. We don't know if for a matter of fact um, Preeti Reddy's ex is the perpetrator um, of this violence but we do know for a fact that most incidents of family violence are perpetrated by either mm. the partner or ex-partner of the victim involved. I feel like there kind of leaves little doubt, but, like, in terms of I don't think they'll be able to prosecute. No, I mean, obviously not. He's dead. Um, but we don't know for a fact whether or not he did it. And I know there's sort of that underlying tension between someone's right to a presumption of innocence but then also acknowledging the context within which these offences take place, which mm. is that they are predominantly perpetrated by the partner or ex-partner of those involved. I guess that's the criminal defence lawyer and me coming out. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that as well, but also he's dead. And so if there's any sort of justice yeah. that was to be to come out of this, any sort of fulsome investigation, mm. it's probably not going to take place now. Mm. And it's really sad for her family. Mm. Um, someone's died, and I guess that's the bottom line. And I just found the media reporting on this incident so disappointing and so disheartening like like you said obviously drawing that supposed causal nexus between arranged marriages and violence against women um and then the references to the case as you know the body in the suitcase imagine if this was your daughter or your mother or your sister or your friend how would you feel if the case was reported on in the way it has been? Like, I, I think that's just what the media's reduced it to now to make it bite-sized, snappy, and, you know, that's for another discussion, but I think... Um, it just shows how much work 
there is still to be done. So, Well, yeah. people aren't seeing it as what we're talking about, which is, like, intimate violence against a partner. And that... That's part of the problem, right? That possessionness. Mm. And totally off um, left centre, but I was um, just scrolling through something and there was a Daily Mail article that had talked about this video that was going viral of a husband and a bride, um, a groom and a bride who were getting married and she was, like, trying to feed him um, cake and then as a joke she pulled away at the last minute as he was going to bite it and he just hit her. And you could actually see her fall, like, just go back. And, you know, that's going viral on the internet right now. And, like... Viral in the sense that it's such everyone's an Everyone's like, thing. what the fuck? Jesus Christ. Yeah, and this is at a wedding. And then when I was reading, uh, scrolling down on the article, there are other instances of similar things taking place and all around cake, so don't feed your husband cake. <laughs> but it was similar things like, um, I think one in one instance, he just, like, threw it on the ground, just, like, stomped on it or something like that. But this particular one was quite confronting because it was, one, filmed, and secondly, mm. like, everyone was there. So if they're doing that in front of public, what's going on behind closed doors? But, um... Just very briefly, there were two other incidents that took place this week. So, as we mentioned, there was um, the Burwood East murder. A 57-year-old woman was found and they've now charged a 68-year-old man who is um, believed to be her husband. And the other one that really was shocking was Geelong. Mm -hmm. Um, So, a young mother was walking in broad daylight. It was like 12 o'clock at noon. Um, when she was assaulted, and it wasn't by an intimate partner, but it was by a man who took one of those wooden stakes that holds plant, um, like the shrubbery up, and he just started beating her with this while she had her five-month-old baby strapped to her chest, and all he wanted was her wallet. Um, but you know she was pretty, pretty shaken. Um, I think luckily nothing too bad happened to her or the mm. baby. But just things like that, which really conflates, like, you know, other conversations we've had about feeling safe um, walking around and assuming that that space in society. And if if we don't get people to start seeing that, you know, um, gendered violence is a thing and not just dismissing it as like, oh, just another inequality, you're just furthering inequality bullshit Mm. that I keep hearing about. Well, often what I... Um, here in response to that too is, oh, don't you know that men are more likely to be victims of violence than women? One in three. One in three, which doesn't account for incidents. Well, that stat is subject to a lot of criticism. Is that intimate partner violence, one in three, or is it just violence in general? Because I know men are more likely to be beaten up. Exactly. So that's more often my response, um, that... Yes, even if we accept that stat on face value, which I don't, but even if you do, um, most of those incidents of violence are perpetrated by other men. And also that stat doesn't account for circumstances in which um, women react with violence in self-defence. So, yeah, that whole when in three thing is just an MRA. Um, We've been watching a lot of Married at First Sight, which... um, Addicted. Even though I said I would not watch it this year and get addicted, I've been addicted more than I have been previous seasons. (laughs) Even just in this moment, though, having this conversation, I feel a bit like we should probably say what we were saying before about violence against women. Obviously, violence takes place 
across all genders. It's just disproportionately focused towards women and the basis of that is well accepted that it's gender inequality. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't want this conversation that we're going to have now to seem like contradicting what we've said before in relation to violence against women. Um, all disrespect and violence is obviously bad and mm-hmm. abhorrent and something that we as a society need to work um, towards fixing. But I think on Married at First Sight, what's been quite alarming is that we've seen many instances of um, gaslighting and the two emotional abuse matters that we're going to talk about um, actually relate to women being incredibly emotionally abusive towards men and not getting called out. Which couples are you thinking of? So I'm thinking of Inez and Bronson. Right. And yes. I'm also thinking of Billy and Susie. What about Mike and Heidi? Yes. I wanted to, so okay. that's the gaslighting example I want to talk about. Right. But the, the ones that have gotten like the most ratings mm. and the most social media pumped up the most is definitely um, – definitely an is she was cast as the villain but now Susie Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the gaslighting that's going on between Mike and Heidi yeah so um Mike is how do I describe Mike well he's like (laughs) a bald 44 42 year old electrician we found out recently that he actually his hairline's tattooed on. I saw that. So oh good. my god. <laughs> so he's been matched up with Heidi, mm. who um, she's got like she's got emotional stuff. Yeah. So she's had a pretty traumatic upbringing. Um, in one of the earlier episodes, she tries to share her experiences yes. of being in the foster care system, and Mike, at least in my submission, is incredibly insensitive um, to her sharing that vulnerability. Um, but yeah, there's a whole heap of gaslighting in that relationship perpetrated by Mike against Heidi, where he more or less, I'm trying to think of concrete examples here. So that one was a concrete example because she was going off her nut because he was like, I just don't want to, I'm not your psych. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then she initially is really upset, um, with him, understandably. And I was like, yeah, go you. Yeah. But then she ends up sort of. Um, you know, backtracking. Well, she lot. said, well, that was my fault. And yeah. I was like, what the? How yeah. did you reach that point? Yeah, because I'm trying to remember how exactly it transpired. But because um, I know initially, yeah, she's definitely the one that sort of um, stands by her convictions and says, you know, you shouldn't be more receptive to me sharing something like that with Which you. Which is totally true. Um, and his response to that is, aside from, you know, go see a psych, um, more or less telling her he's not equipped to deal with that and her then, yeah, questioning herself and being like, yeah, maybe it was unrealistic of me to expect him to, you know, be a partner and listen to me share my insecurities and my vulnerabilities. And then he kind of, like, reassures and says, yeah, you know, at least we've gone past that point, like, without taking any accountability for what's happened in that situation. Yeah. Oh, that was absurd. Um, and there was also a more recent episode, so... Um, on every Sunday, the couples go to what's called a commitment ceremony where they sit before these three dubiously qualified psychologists. And I think they're called relationship experts now because they can't call themselves psychologists. Right. Probably for liability for, purposes. Yeah, for reasons. <laughs> um, and they more or less have to tell the psychologist whether or not they want to continue in the experiment uh-huh. and stay married to one another. And in one of the more recent commitment ceremony episodes, um, 
I don't know about you, but it seemed like the psychologists were completely oblivious to the gaslighting taking place as well. See, and this is the thing that I want to talk about. These um, psychologists, they seem to not be intervening when there needs to be intervention necessary. I mean, I did see John Aiken intervene when Martha went completely apeshit and, like, physically Mm. violent towards – wait, not Martha. Um. Cyril. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Went completely ate shit towards Martha yeah. and was like grabbing her by the chest. Yeah. And was like very physically violent through like, yeah, broke things and stuff like that. That's when I saw some intervention. Did not see intervention with this gaslighting. Do you remember the context for the gaslighting during the commitment ceremony? Because I can't actually recall the facts now. Was it because um, she was angry because they were supposed to approach Jess together, but then... Yes, that's right. So, yes, yes, no, you're right. So um, they had a mutual agreement that they were going to approach one of the other contestants in this experiment. He went along and broke this agreement, and she was upset with him for it because she said, you know, we're in a relationship, we're a team, and we made a commitment to one another in this like experiment and in this particular situation and you backtracked on your commitment which I thought was fair enough um but instead they kind of more or less started saying to her well it looks like you're hell-bent on compromising um or self-sabotaging this relationship by finding faults in my oh yes and he's just kind of sitting there lazily loving life yeah loving it I just feel like he's getting nothing like and this is an ongoing issue with the math thing but the people that need to be pulled up on their disrespectful behaviour or inappropriate or dangerous behaviour are not. So, for instance, with Inez and um, Bronson. Mm. So Inez, I think she's an actress because there's no way there's someone that horrible in the world. Or at least incredibly narcissistic. She apparently wants wants to be a family family lawyer. lawyer. (laughs) I can't get over that. I would not hire her. She would be (gasps) such a bitch. Can you imagine her as a legal assistant? Like, she would hang up on everyone. (laughs) Um, So Inez was being just horrible to Bronson from day one. I think she hated him because he had a background being a stripper. Yeah. Which is like, you know, everyone needs to make money. And she just disrespected him and said he was disgusting and just behaved horribly. And then she cheated on him with Mm. another contestant in the show. But um, throughout all of her berating of Bronson – the they didn't say anything until no. Bronson said the c word like said you know one minute you're you're like lovely and the next minute you're behaving like a c word and then um that's when Mel Schilling mm-hmm. pulled him up and was like that is never appropriate um to call anyone by that blah 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 so began the Twitter um onslaught oh, yeah. which I kind of had to agree with though because like. I mean, I agree with the fact that there's definitely a double standard there. Totally. If you're going to call Bronson out for calling Inez a cunt, then you need to call out Inez for the vitriol of abuse she threw his way. But they didn't. I don't know, maybe it ended up on the production room floor, who knows? Maybe, but um, people were pretty um, horrible in their critique. I mean, they started... Yeah, totally inappropriate. Exactly. But I think the critique minus all the horribleness that was directed towards Mm. her was valid, which was like all experts. Why didn't you address the, like, and it'd been weeks by that point, like three weeks of really, really horrible behavior. Like she'd just been essentially off the hook for the whole time. And like, didn't 
didn't get any sort of one-on-one specialist relationship counselling. Mm. The other couple I wanted to point to was um, Susie and Billy. So oh. they're the new intruder couple. Yeah. But she is horrible to him and yeah. no one's pulling her up on it. Like, she made him cry at the last commitment ceremony because mm. she just kept saying, like, he's not a man, grow some balls, like, you know, and things like that, which... to Talk go that toxic masculinity. Exactly. <laughs> and to... And I know this seems like sort of a trivial way to kind of go back to what we were talking about, which was about the basis of why we're talking about International Women's Day and gender equality. But feminism benefits everyone. I, I Maybe we need, do need to use a new word or something to appease the men's. But that is the Billy and Susie example is a perfect example of where, you know, society's really toxic attitudes about what a man's meant to be. Mm. Having said that, I don't even think Billy was – you know, a typically uh, sensitive, like, he wasn't... Effeminate. Yeah, at all. Like He, he was just a human being well, with feelings, he's with needs and wants. Yeah. yeah, and he just wanted to fall in love, allegedly. Yeah. Um, and he, he's got a background as a male stripper. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's into the bodybuilding stuff. Like, he's not, yeah. you know... So if he's suffering that yeah. from this woman, imagine what it's like for other guys who don't fit clearly into the mould of what you're meant to be as a man and being told to grow some balls. and You know, this idea about feminism um, being for the benefit of everyone reminds me of this article that Jamila Rizvi reshared yesterday to mark International Women's Day. Um, I don't know if you've read it. I just read it um, because she shared the link on her Instagram. Um, but it's a letter that she writes to her to son. Rafi, yeah. yeah. And it more or less talks about the fact that um, yeah, feminism is for the benefit, not only um, for women, but for men, for you know, men to not feel like um, they need to repress their feelings, for men to feel like they don't need to live up to these ideals of masculinity where they have to make sexist comments or mm-hmm. they have to be into sports or they have to resort to violence to resolve conflict. Um, yeah, it's, a, it, it's something that benefits everyone and I think we just need to do a lot better in terms of um, persuading people of that message and calling out. I mean, I and I am no by no means a perfect feminist. Like mm-hmm. the other day, um, Nick was my partner was calling me out for calling one of the maths contestants a slut, and he was like, <laughs> "Why are you calling her a slut? Like, mm-hmm. what's the basis behind that? Why mm-hmm. did you choose to use that word? Would you mm-hmm. use that on a guy?" And I was like, hmm. "Valid point. Valid points." And now I will not use that word. Have you had people calling you out for watching maths, being a out and proud Oh, feminist? look, I think maths is like neighbours on steroids. <laughs> I think they're all paid actors, and I think there's actually... Some, yeah, it's scripted so reality. That's why I don't... Yeah, I don't feel as bad, because I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, these aren't real people. Also, I do think it's important I think to... the vitriol's bad, though. I don't... Oh, yeah, I'm it's... Not yeah, no, it's horrific, but... um. You know, it's easy to kind of be in your own little intellectual bubble about what you perceive to be right and wrong. But the truth of the matter is that lots of people watch this show. Like, it is that show that seems to bring people together. Like, it has. Did you watch Mass? And then you yes. kind of have a discussion about what happened. And it's almost like democratic in that sense because it kind of crosses the um, socioeconomic lines. Because yeah. I think the thing, and we've talked about this, about, like, intellectualism and whether mm-hmm. or not this is, like, vapid viewing. But, um, like you said, it's like the Herald Sun. If people read it, then you, if you want to have your finger on the pulse about what society's thinking, exactly. then you 
why are you any better? Exactly. Like, this is the society you're living in. You can mm-hmm. choose to bury yourself in the sand, but this is what... And it does generate... Like, I feel like we could write a whole bloody PhD on, like, the behaviour that's been observed in mm. this this um, year's episodes because it's so extreme. Like, and so that's why I think it's definitely acted and scripted because there's no way to cheating things that are essentially identical in plot line yeah. could have taken place really. So I just, I think I like discharge myself of that guilt because I'm just like, well, it's just like watching reality TV. Um, sorry. It's just like watching neighbors, soapy opera type yeah. thing. And it has generated a lot of interesting conversation. Like the fact that we're actually spending a portion of our podcast talking about. I know. I feel like we should move on. So the next issue that I wanted to talk about was money mm. and so women and money. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, when I first started working, my friend Amelia and I made a pact that we were going to become more financially literate. So we signed up to like super money, um, the super women thing where they were teaching us about super and investing and money and that type of thing. But something that's come up recently now that mm. we're getting a bit older is the issue of relationships and money. Mm-hmm. So someone um, has raised with us about the concept of pooled money and how as you know family lawyers um we would deal with that issue on marriage or de facto relationship mm-hmm. and so are joint bank accounts a thing of the past mm-hmm. i guess is the question mm-hmm. yeah so the the issue in contention seems to be um do you even need independent bank accounts if you are in a relationship, at least a committed relationship with another person. To which I say, why not? Because why would you not have... Wait, what am I saying? Why would you have a, only a joint bank account? So, playing devil's advocate? Yes. I don't, yeah, I don't assume... L- let's hear the position. arguments. So, um, if I am in a long-term committed relationship mm-hmm. and I want to argue in favour of only having a joint account, I would make the argument that, well... We are in a relationship that is founded on honesty and loyalty and trust and we should be able to be really transparent and accountable with one another by, yeah, not taking issue with, you know, sharing funds and sharing expenses. Um, What's the need to have a separate bank account um, if we trust each other with money and if we aren't going to judge each other about what we do with our money. So is this on the presumption that both of you have equal um, earning power? Well, that's one of the issues, right? Um, yes. Because um, in most relationships, there is someone that earns more than their partner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, does that make a difference? Look, I feel like we'll have to revisit this um, during, like, maternity leave season. Yeah. Because I, I mean, reckon that will change things because I don't even know how you would distribute money during that period. Yeah, I actually don't have any friends that have been in that position where they've had children and one of the partners has taken maternity or paternity leave. Um, But I am a huge advocate, and I think you are the same, of having a joint account for joint expenses. So things like rent, mortgage, utilities, Mm -hmm. children, etc. But then also having independent bank accounts to maintain your financial independence and to not have to be answerable for particular things you want to spend your money on. Yeah. And I think um, my legal colleagues and like all of us who come from that particular background are of the same view because Mm -hmm. time and time again, we've assisted clients, very disadvantaged female clients Mm -hmm. who are now doing like staring down the battle of a very protracted and long property settlement 
because they have no money. Mm-hmm. They were solely dependent on their husband mm-hmm. and he controlled the finances and now they are left with child mm-hmm. and no means of funding that. And then mostly you throw in like a deadbeat dad into the mix with no child support payments and um, it's difficult. Yeah. I guess the other reason I come from this particular angle is because in my view – I've only known what it's like to earn my own money. Mm-hmm. And so I the idea of having to relinquish all of that money like that I've worked so hard to get to this point for and, yeah, to have someone potentially scrutinise some of my discretionary spending, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Does that come down to the fact that you don't trust, say, Nick to not be critical of you and what you're spending on? Like, I just don't want him to know. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's none of his business what yeah. I spend my money on because I work for it. Mm-hmm. So I buy what I want out of it. I just, you know, I just cannot actually understand the mindset where it's like all pulled together and, and you know. I think people that assume that position think that. Maybe they buy less stuff. Well, or they just think that, you know, um, is our relationship not that strong? Like, I feel like it comes from a place of insecurity where they think, hold on a minute, do you not trust me? But don't act as if they're not going to secretly be like, ooh, Cushy shouldn't have spent mm. that 200 bucks on that Gorman dress. Mm. Like, they are. Yeah. And I know I would. I'd be like, ooh, should have Nick spent that $500 on an Xbox. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that conversation to happen because in my view, like, you earn what you earn, mm-hmm. you work hard, you can play hard. Mm-hmm. Provided that you come to like joint budget, um, you know, like a joint budgeting goal, for instance, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to save X amount of money in a year. It doesn't matter how you get to that point mm-hmm. um, in terms of you can have your own extent, like, you know, you make it work within your um, earnings. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think we're both pragmatists. Like you said, we've both worked in family law and we have seen the um, shortcomings of pooling all of your money together. Well, you need Um, a slush fund, right? You need that emergency fund because you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And that doesn't even mean that you anticipate that the relationship is going to break down. What if one of you passes away or what if one of you moves away for a period of time? Like, it's like an insurance policy, right? And I know this is going to sound really horrible, but I actually find it really, like, emotionally manipulative when I've heard guys be like, one, don't you trust me? Two, I'll mm. never hurt you. Yeah, heard it all before. All the family violence victims that we deal with, do you think their husbands were like, yeah, I'm going to bash the shit out of you and I'm going to make sure you've got no money. Exactly. People change. Circumstances change. It's an insurance policy just in case the worst happens. And it not only protects you, it protects your partner as well. Because who knows, you might actually end up being the abuser in that situation, right? You never know what's going to happen. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. That's my motto. Well, um, the article that we uh, had sent you, Mm. um, the Atlantic one, was actually talking about how there's a millennial shift. So I think there is an element of a generational shift about this too because I've spoken to people of our parents' generation Mm. and parents and I'm pretty sure everyone does the pooled thing now. Wait, as in in addition to having separate bank accounts? No, just, just pooled. Wow. I mean, speak to your parents about it. I'm sure they may. Uh, well, my dad had a gambling addiction back in the day, so <laughs> it was imperative that they maintain separate bank accounts in addition to having oh, a joint so bank that account. See, what my mum I wanted to play the pinky. Exactly. I wouldn't be able to. Yep. <laughs> no, but, you know, jokes aside, like that's <laughs> – and, you know, that's quite rare, I think, if you actually go to that generation mm. of people, like, um, I think once they get married, and, you know, mm. let's 
think about it back then people got married earlier mm-hmm. and um with um like Nick's parents they were saying they both came in with equal standing mm-hmm. in terms of they were both earning not very much and so therefore there wasn't that power disparity mm-hmm. whereas now I feel like and it may be different now but in um, my immediate friendship group like the woman is the one earning more than the guy me too actually yeah yeah, yeah. which is like yay <laughs> like, <laughs> I earn double what my partner earns so mm-hmm. I don't and that's my money like I don't (laughs) and I know like you know people would be like what a bitch but you know you work hard for it Mm -hmm. and I don't have any joint expenses Mm -hmm. so I don't see the need to put all my money in one place Mm -hmm. also how else would you diversify assets like you know do all the things that you're meant to do as a savvy you know financial person why can't you just draw on a joint bank account to do that because I don't want to it's my money I want to make my own money grow yeah and I'm just everyone, opposing the question. I agree with you, but no, I I take I, I'm open to hearing all the main mm. argument that I've heard about this issue mostly is don't you trust me exactly, which, which comes said, from a place of insecurity and lack of pragmatism. To be frank, I think they, but maybe we're overlooking something because we have that family law background and we're being too pragmatic. Um, I don't know if that means we're overlooking something. We're coming from our lived experiences of family lawyers, where we see the fifty percent of relationships that fail or at least the 50% of marriages that fail and the shortcomings of that I think it just makes us better prepared for being better in relationships well yeah I just yeah I just don't want to this is one of those bubble things that I'm worried about like what well we have consulted with people that um are not family lawyers your partner Nick isn't um last weekend we were speaking with um you know a few of your friends that aren't and even last night we were speaking with um our friend Mia um and yeah, it just seems to be a pragmatic approach. And I know a lot of people don't like being pragmatic when it comes to relationships. I know. That's where you like, it's like they check out the yeah. door. It's like, would you not make a will? Yeah, exactly. Like, What's would you not buy house insurance? Mm-hmm. How, why would you not have a slush fund? Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it, it, it stirs up all these feelings and emotions. and Well, it's a very personal thing, right? Money and relationships. I know. You and can't I, get more personal than that. Well, this is the thing. I was, like, snooping around, like, um, with my mum. I was like, oh, can you ask all your friends, like, whether they all have joint bank accounts? And she's like, why? And I'm like, because I want to know. <laughs> I think we do need to take the taboo out of it because we're Agreed. not going to get empowered until we take the sting out of money and like mm. I've slowly been chipping away at it over the years I think the first time I was super aligned was when my friends started talking about shares and I just felt so out of my depth because I was like and these are my girlfriends by the way mm-hmm. and they were talking about like diversifying their assets and things like that and I just Ugh. felt so scared but I felt that feeling yeah but one it's less scary once you educate it for yourself about it and two there is a reason why savings wise mm. men and women differ so much is because guys like you open up GQ magazine or you open up like money and stuff like that or um you know how the the age has um, daily life for women and executive style for men. Executive style has a huge focus on money and stuff like that. In really? addition to style, interesting. But that's why we have this disparity and why women perhaps aren't as good with money because we're conditioned to think it's money. It's too hard. I think mm-hmm. we need to flip the script on it, and I think it's slowly happening now. Even one of the podcasts that I really like and which um, is probably that bird, um, 
uh, what's it called? Confessions of a 20-something train wreck. That girl is a fucking train wreck. <laughs> but the last episode that she did, she interviewed some money person, like right. um, a specialist who has like some kind of like, you know, 20-week plan or something like that about mm-hmm. money. And if you listen to this podcast, you'll hear that like earlier on this Phoebe Parsons chick just cannot manage her money. Like her friend did a budget and was like, how are you like living like Beyonce on like, you know, a Macca's budget or something like that? Because she was just spending crazy amounts of money on stupid stuff and just bad things kept happening to her, like her car would break down and stuff mm-hmm. and she'd have no money. And anyway, so she's completely changing it. She's speaking to this money lady and um, even just listening to that podcast, I was just like, wow, like this is becoming a much more um, like open thing to for women to talk about. It's more accessible. Like it's no Agreed. longer about having to read really boring books. Like, The Barefoot mm. Investor is such a good place to start mm. if you want to talk about All the Pineapple Project, that, that yes. ABC-produced podcast, which I started listening to, and I actually felt like it was really accessible in the way it was educating um, people about money. So if someone wants a good well, starting women, point, I actually, That one was – it, Yeah, it was tailored um, for women, actually. Yeah, that's right. So good. Mm. I Can I just also quickly drop a recommendation for mm. The Pineapple Project Season 2? I have not started listening to that yet. It's all about work. It is oh. so relevant to me right now. Focused on women in the workplace? Um, focused on uh, different angles of women um, excelling in the workplace. So one, it talks about networking, which I know oh, we hate. Yeah. But listen to it with an open mind because okay. it does make you think a bit differently about it. Okay. Uh, not that I'm going to be shoving my non-existent business cards in anyone's hand anytime <laughs> soon, but um, really good. The other one was talking, I think there was one about finding good work. I think there's going to be one on managing difficult managers and I think there's one on pay negotiation or I've just had pay negotiation uh-huh. in my mind. But, you know, I think it's so important, you know, on the the day after International Women's Day that we talk about ways to empower women mm-hmm. and finance. Unfortunately, we're in a capitalist system. Yeah, it's a prerequisite. For being independent. That's right. And we can't bury our heads in the sand about this anymore. Like, um, to kind of wrap up this week's episode, we've talked about family violence and we've talked about money, two things that seem very, you know, not related. Mm, but are actually very interlinked when you think about it. Well, if you look at the core, what's under underlying both of this is family structures and that type mm. of thing and attitudes. Because if you ultimately, if you're with a guy who and you are financially illiterate, you're with a guy who then chooses that he's going to behave this way, you need money to leave. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know... Yeah, that, from personal experience, I know of many girls and women who have stayed in abusive relationships because they didn't know how they were going to get a roof over their head or put food on the table. Exactly. And so it's, these are real things that need to be considered. Mm-hmm. And so girls, women out there who are listening... Like, you can't afford to bury your head in the sand anymore. Like, I think um, some of the most horrific cases I've dealt with have not been so much the family violence inflicted. Like, that's horrible. Um, And, you know, I've dealt with a lot of sexual assault survivors Mm -hmm. and um, really horrific physical abuse at the hands of their partners, who so-called loving partners. But they could not leave. They had Mm -hmm. to go back. Anytime you tried to um, help them to get out, they'd end up back there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before those women, um, unfortunately, become another statistic. Mm-hmm. Agreed.